So this is my last shot this year, huh? <laughs> we started this year and uh, we called the, we dedicated a whole year and we called it Eat This Book. And the whole idea was to get you to engage with, with the Word of God. And uh, I want to uh, tell you what the three things that I really wanted each of you to experience this last year. Uh, number one, I wanted you to to value God's word more. Uh, you know, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, speaking of God's words, they're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. So it's the word of God is sweeter than honey and more valuable than gold. I wanted you to value God's word. Remember when Jesus was out in the wilderness, um, he had been... T- uh, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was starving. And this is the temptation that came to him in Matthew chapter 4. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what Jesus is saying there is really fundamentally so important for us because he's saying you can't just live on physical bread. There has to be spiritual food for you. There has to be God's word in your life. And, and, and I, you know, the two words that struck me as I was reading through that this week, Jesus says people do not live by bread alone. And I, and I just want to ask you a question as we begin how has this year been? I mean, I think it's easy for us to try to get by by bread alone. And, and Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven, and, and I give you God's word. And so we have God's word, and we have bread from heaven. And Jesus says, you can't live on bread alone. Physical food isn't going to sustain you. You need that spiritual food, and only the scriptures, the words of God can give you that. So I wanted you to, to value God's word and see how essential and how important it is Secondly, I wanted you to take, we are challenging you to read through the Bible this year. By the way, how many of you were able to make it through this year? Go ahead, raise your hand if you did. Great. How many of you made a, a valid attempt to do it and you may make it get done by the end of the year? Okay, good. And the most important question is this one. How many of you made regular attempts to read and reflect up on a portion of the scripture this year. Just raise your hand. That's great. That's essentially what I wanted you to do. Um, getting through the Bible is a good thing, but reading and reflecting on it is the most important. And what I pictured was that you would, on a regular basis, daily would be the best, but ultimately, if you did it three times a week and you didn't do it before that at, at any point, three days a week is, is better than not doing it at all. And I pictured you... And this is me too, saying, God, speak to me through your word today. And reading a short passage and then saying, God, speak to my heart today. I want your words in my heart. And so maybe you're thinking of doing that this year or you're going to begin it today or tomorrow. Or Let me give you places to begin. The book of Genesis is a great place to begin. The gospel of John, the gospel of Mark, the book of James. Those are great places to start. And just pray, God, speak to me as I read maybe a chapter, maybe just a couple of paragraphs, whatever it is, 
And I believe God will. So I wanted you to value God's word. I wanted you to take to daily re- read and reflect. And, and that's a, 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 an ongoing thing. I don't want it to end. I want it to continue. And then number three, I wanted you to look for Jesus. I wanted you to see Jesus through all of Scripture because he's there. And so those were the three uh, goals that I had for this year. Um, so we're finishing up. We're in the book of Revelation we're going to be in Revelation 21 today. And I want to just give you a little, just a quick background for the book of Revelation. Last weekend I told you that it's apocalyptic literature. It's a lot of symbol, symbolism. Um, it's difficult to, to interpret and to understand. Um, but we do know the context of the book. The context of the book is under Domitian, uh, uh, the Roman emperor. There was massive and brutal uh, persecution of Christians. It was just an ongoing thing. Christians were uh, routinely burned at the stake, fed to lions, beaten and tortured to death. Um, Tertullian, basically the uh, Christian uh, author from Carthage, basically said, and, and it's a famous quote, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And what he meant by that was that as Christians are dying for their faith, the church is expanding, it's growing, it, 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 people want, they say, well, listen, if, if they're willing to die for it, and they're willing to die in this way for it, with faith and hope, then they, they must have something that I don't. So uh, Tertullian coined that phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So they were going under, they were under severe persecution. In fact, uh, John alludes to that in chapter 2 of Revelation 9. Uh, he says this, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They, they, they say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and t- to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but you, if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. So he's basically saying to you, to them, you will suffer. There will be suffering. Suffering is in your future. It's in your path. And, and, uh, but what, know this, that even if you suffer, even if they put you to death, even if you're, if you're leaving this planet is, is brutal and tough and difficult, you'll have a safe landing and you'll be, you'll be welcomed in heaven. So that's the encouragement that John gives them. But he says, you will have persecution. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Um, and so in our study in this Eat This Book, we began really in a garden, uh, with God in a garden. And we're going to end today with God, but it's going to be the city of God. And so I want to read the first seven verses of Revelation 21, and then we're going to make a few observations uh, about that. Let's start at verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, 
write this down, for I tell you this is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So here's a few things that we can draw from this passage. Number one, the hope of heaven will come down to earth. We often think of heaven and we say, well, when I die, I'll go up to be with God in heaven. So we think of, our, uh, uh, of death being us leaving this earth and going to heaven. But what John is saying is quite opposite. John says that heaven's going to come down to earth. In fact, heaven's going to come down in a great city down to earth. He tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a holy city. And the holy city is going to come down from heaven to earth, the new Jerusalem. Well, and, and, and so the question is, how will this city and how will the earth be? What will it be like? Well, he tells us a few descriptors, and uh, sometimes we, we need to go through those and understand those. The first thing he says is the sea will be gone. And some of you who are sailors are going, oh, really? <laughs> I, kinda, I was kind of hoping we could sail in heaven. And, uh, but the, 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 John, again, I think here using the sea is, is using it symbolically. The sea is used in Scripture uh, very often it's used, especially in the book of Revelation, it's symbolic of the origin of evil. It's symbolic of the nations that persecute Christians. And it's symbolic of the place of the dead. And he's basically saying all these things are going to be gone. There, there'll be no more in heaven. Um, he, uh, very clearly, the things we can't understand, he will wipe away the tears. Um, and I was thinking about that. Why, why do you weep? Why do you weep? I, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I weep when, when somebody close to me is, is gone. I weep when I'm in severe pain. I weep uh, when there's suffering. Um, I think we've all wept at rejection when we've been rejected. And, and basically what John is saying is there's going to be a day coming where there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more rejection. And uh, that's an exciting thing to think about. Some of you, though, when you hear of a city, you say, well, that doesn't really excite me too much. I'm a country boy. I'm a country person. Um, and, uh, and, you, and, and for some of you, it, it may be tied to the fact that when you've been to cities, you, you are kind of repulsed by them or not excited by them because you, you see or hear about or you equate high crime or dirty streets or unsafe neighborhoods or abandoned cars or just things like that. And you go, that doesn't really excite me. But the, the heavenly city is different. And, and that's why I think John goes to so many great lengths to describe this city as spectacular and far beyond what we could imagine. Um, he says the city is, uh, there, he says that it will not be a dirty city. It, in fact, the streets will be paved in jewels and gold, and it's just going to be spectacular. And um, it's going to be, uh, there's going to be no murderous alleys. It's going to be safe and secure. There's going to be no corrupt courts. There, justice will reign, and, and there'll be no payment under the table. There'll be no corruption, and and it will just be a place of great learning and growing and thriving. And uh, John basically says it will be unlike any city you've ever been in. 
You know, some people say, well, you know, you Christians, you're just looking for pie in the sky. And really, essentially, no, we're not looking for pie in the sky. We're looking for a feast on this earth. And in Scripture, in Revelation, he says there'll be a great banquet. There'll be a great feast. And that's what we're looking forward to. Um, the best part of heaven, though, is, and he, he emphasized this in the passage very, quite a few times, God will be with us. God will be, and, and frankly, that's how it started in the garden. Remember how it started in the garden? God walked with Adam and Eve. And so that's the best part of heaven is that we will be with God. Now here's, here's where we get into trouble or here's where we, maybe you're here today and you're not excited about heaven. And it may be because you have this consumer mentality that's so ingrained in our pop culture and you say, what's in it for me in heaven? And Essentially, when you say, well, God will be there, and you go, yeah, what else? You know, I mean, is there, is there, I mean, I know God's God, and that's cool, but what else is going to be there? And here's, here's the thing. If you're not really very interested in having God near you right now or being with God right now, then, yeah, heaven is not going to be, you're not going to be probably very excited about heaven because heaven is the dwelling place of God. But the great news is you're going to be dwelling with God, and you're going to find your ultimate fulfillment. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. You may be here this morning, and you say, well, pastor, I thought that, you know, the cities, you know, way back in Genesis, I remember reading early in the year, Genesis 11, and they tried to build a city, and God said, no, 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 you're not doing that. <laughs> and, and let's read that passage, because I think it's significant in understanding what, what God rejected there. It wasn't the city, it was what they were doing. This is the Tower of Babel, and as they got, gathered together and they built, uh, God ultimately had to confuse their language and disperse the people. But in chapter 11, verse 4, it says this, Then they said, Come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So God isn't against the city life. He's against them building a a bridge to God almost. And, and, you know, it's interesting to me that what we have in Genesis 11 is man trying to build a city to God. And what do we have in Revelation? A city sent down from God to earth. And what was the point of them building the city? This will make us famous. And I think that points to a problem in, in the presence of God in Revelation. The problem is, and this is what I find in my life, you, you'll have to Decide for yourself whether you find it's true in your life. The more that my life becomes about me, the less happy I am. The less I find things going well. The more my life becomes about him, the better my life is. The more I think about others, the more I, I tend to, I, my life tends to go better that way. I tend to have more hope. I tend to have more joy. And essentially, that's what it comes down to. You can either build a city here on earth that reaches to heaven, and you'll find, you know, you, you may find certain accomplishments and certain successes, but ultimately, it's only when heaven comes down and God is there that you're going to find your ultimate fulfillment and purpose. That's really where it comes from. Uh, because what he's saying here is, if you want to find that acceptance, that love, and that meaning, it can only come from heaven. Only God can bring you the ultimates of life, that ultimate satisfaction, satisfaction significance, and security. 
Um, and this is something we can learn here and now. We can learn, say, you know, if, if God is, if you will be everything for me, then I will have that sense of security and, and, and satisfaction and, and uh, all those different things that I want, the significance that I want. In other words, what I'm saying is the more that you make your life about him, the more you will find that real joy and love and peace and purpose and meaning and everything. But the more you make life about you, the more you're going to find yourself lonely, discouraged, disappointed, and, dis- and just uh, frustrated. So that's the first thing, that the hope of heaven is going to come down to earth. Secondly, the hope of heaven helps us to live to the fullest now. You know, we live in a broken world, and John is writing this letter in Revelation to encourage believers, and, and believers that were being severely persecuted by the Roman government. And so he is giving them hope. He is helping them have hope. Now, how do you find hope? Hope essentially is this. Hope is that I believe tomorrow is going to be better than today was. Or, we're, we're at the verge of a new year. Hope means that I believe that this coming year is going to be better than this past year. Now, some of you are saying, well, I had a pretty good year. You know? <laughs> or some of you are saying, well, it couldn't have gotten any worse. You know? And, and, but you have hope. You, you believe something good is going to happen. That's where hope comes from. It's a belief that tomorrow's going to be better than today. And you know what? Uh, if the future is bleak, you're going to struggle with hope. And, and so what John is doing here is he's saying, not only do you have a hope, he, he's, he's essentially saying, you may not have a hope for your life, but you have a hope beyond your life. And that's the hope that you really have to grab onto. You see, heaven brings us hope. Relationships are going to be brought back together. They will be, they will be healed. There will be no more fear, anxiety, no more death, no more dying, no more crime. And so John basically says, heaven is a place where, there is a, where we are accepted and loved. We are secure and satisfied. We are going to find our purpose and our meaning. There's an ultimate hope coming. Uh, it's kind of like this. Let's say that you uh, got a job in Dubuque and you, let's say you start January 1st. You start this job and they say, we're going to pay you $40,000 a year and you get benefits. And you go, okay, that's not so bad. Um, so you start doing the job and, and you go, well, well, are there any raises? Probably not. And it's a pretty mundane job. Let's just say you're not, you know, you're not going into work going, I'm so excited about work today. You know, it's just like, oh, I'm doing it because I have to. I really don't want to. And you go, some of you are going, oh, you're describing my job right now. But, but, but ultimately, this is your job and you get paid. You, you, you basically are not looking at work as, you know, walking in one week and going, wow, work is really exciting today. I'm really so psyched about work and I've, I've got energy and I just can't wait. And you go, yeah. Same old, same old. It's kind of a drudgery. There's not a lot of hope. Let's just say, though, that uh, you, you uh, are getting ready to be hired and, and the boss of the country company says, you know, I'm feeling very generous. So what I'm going to do is this. It's, I've, never been, I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to hire you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to pay you for the next two years. You'll get no salary. I'll give you benefits because, you know, I'm a good guy, but I'm going to give you no salary. But at the end of two years, I'm going to give you $30 million. Okay? Would you take the job? I think I would take the job. Now, here's the deal. 
let's just say he paid you 10000 just so you'd have a little bit to live on, and that's not much to live on. But let's just say that he, he did that. So you're working there, but your attitude between the guy that, or person that got hired for, what did I say, 40000 I think I said 40000 I changed the price last night, but I can't keep track. Anyway, bottom line is, you, the person working 40000 no, that's all they're going to get. Really doesn't have a lot of hope. But you're sitting there going, after two years, man, I am like doing it. I'm like, I've got it all. Like, it's like, so every day you're going and saying, one step closer, one step closer. You know, you're a year under your belt. You're going, yeah, baby, one more year. You know, you're down to one month. Hey, one month to go, baby, one month to go. And I'm, you know... All of a sudden now, you're, why? Because you know out there in the future something great is going to happen. That's what John is doing here. And John's not saying you're going to get $30 million. It's even better than that. You're going to have the very presence of God. You're going to find your ultimate fulfillment. See, our hope isn't money. It's better than that. And I think one of the things in heaven that's going to take place is you are going to find, maybe for the first time, your ultimate purpose. Why God made you. Why God, why God, you know, when you are being used and uh, bringing glory to God in a way that God wired you and gifted you and you're using that capacity, you're going to be so fulfilled and so pleased with, with what you're able to do and what you're able to do for God and for the kingdom. It's like this. This is a bad illustration, but I'm going to tell it anyways. And you'll say, well, that was a horrible illustration. I don't know when he told it, but uh, he did it anyways. He went ahead and he told us. Now, this is, this is not setting me up for any success here in the illustration. But that being said, I was working on my car, uh, one of my cars that they're all junk. But uh, I was working on one of them, and I went to uh, take this bolt out, and it was really hard to get at. It's impossible to get at. And there's only one, there's a wrench that I needed. And I should have had the wrench because I've had the whole set. But guess what? I didn't have that particular, I couldn't find it anywhere. The one wrench I needed, I couldn't get it. And I could barely get my fingertips on it. I had to pull really hard to loosen it up. And I could barely get my hands in there. They're all banged up. And I finally, I had to go buy the wrench I had to buy the whole set because you can't buy just one. I had to buy the whole set. So I bought the one wrench. I put it on there. And when I pulled and I, I pried and I pulled and I pried and I finally broke, the, I broke the, 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 the nut loose and I began to slowly, slowly back it off. And every time I did that, the wrench said, Yay! 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 Look at I'm being fulfilled. I'm finding my ultimate purpose. I'm loosening that nut. You're saying there's a nut up there, but it ain't the... <laughs> <laughs> now I said that last night that the wrench said I'm finding my ultimate purpose and somebody t- texted me and said no the wrench would say I found my ultimate purpose <laughs> yeah yeah it's, that's what I got to put up with but, but, but here, here's the point the point is we are like tools in God's toolboxes and some of us are hammers and we're being used like wrenches and some of us are wrenches and being used like hammers and we're going, you know, I don't feel like I'm finding my purpose and I just want to tell you that when you get to heaven and, and, and you, you're with God, God's going to say, here's what you, I created you to do. Here's where you're... And you're going to do it. You're going to say, yay, I get to be the wrench that I was always meant to be. And you're going to say, there's nothing better than that. Some of you are experiencing that right now. 
to a certain degree. You're out there doing things and you're saying, I never knew God could use these gifts in this place doing that. You know, people to go to Haiti and, and other missions trips and just you're, you're using your gifts and your abilities in different ways. And you're going, I get that. I, I really get that. But you know, in heaven, this is just going to be like beyond comprehension. That's what heaven's about. Here's the third thing we can draw from this passage. The hope of heaven comes only through Jesus. Now, now John says something very interesting, and I believe these are the words of of Christ, and he says, To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The Bible is very clear that the the Bible brings this out, and, and certainly great scholars have brought it out, that every one of us has a spiritual thirst, a spiritual longing, an emptiness, uh, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Um, Pascal said it a different way and very well. It's one of the best written statements of, of our, our desperate need, our emptiness, our, our void, our, 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 our thirst. He said this, he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, woman, child, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. And Jesus says, I will give you living water. I will fill you up. Now, interestingly enough, in John chapter 4, we have Jesus who meets a woman and the quick back story, because I'll have to move fairly quickly through this. So the woman is coming to a well in the middle of the day. Jesus is going through Samaria. And if you know anything about the Holy Land, Samaria and the land, the region of Samaria was, was uh, not uh, people, the Jewish people avoided it. Uh, they would walk around it when they went from the north to the south, to the south to the north. They would walk around it. Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria. And he stops at this well. And the disciples go into town to get food. And Jesus is sitting there, and this woman comes. And obviously, it's clear that Jesus has set this appointment up. This, this is an appointment that he has had with this woman. And she doesn't know it, but he did. And she, she shows up at the well, and he says, Would you get me a drink? And uh, she, she was surprised because a couple of reasons. Number one, she, on the ladder of... of of society, she was low rung. I mean, she was a woman, and women were seen as inferior in that day. Secondly, she was Samaritan, and he was Jewish. So race-wise, she was lower. And number three, she was probably a woman. There's a reason why she was there in the middle of the day. You didn't go to the wells. You didn't go to the well to draw water uh, in the middle of the day. That was the hottest part of the day. You would go in the morning or you would go in the evening. And there was another thing. There was a social dimension that when you went in the morning or you went in the evening, you would meet the other women, the other families, and you would share stories and, and, and catch up on news. She wanted to avoid that. And the reason she wanted to avoid that was because she probably had slept with a number of the women, their husbands. And so she was really, she, morally, she would, so she was a woman and she was a Samaritan and she was, there was a moral corruption going on in, in her life that she was lowest in society. So she's shocked that Jesus, a Jewish person, a rabbi from his perspective, uh, would even talk to her. And he asks her for a drink 
And, uh, she, and then he says, uh, I have water that, you, that I can give you that you'll never, you'll never be thirsty again. And she said, you don't, even have an, you don't even have a bucket. And let me pick up the text from there. It's John chapter 4, verse by the way, it's interesting contrast because in John chapter 3, you have Jesus really speaking to the, the highest rung of the ladder. You have Nicodemus, who is a religious leader. He's Jewish. He's, he's knowledgeable of the law. And Jesus says to him, you need to be born again. And, and of course, he doesn't get the spiritual concept that he's talking about. And he says, well, how do I enter into my mother's womb? And he's talking physically. And Jesus says, no, you need to be born again. Uh, there needs to be a spiritual rebirth. So you have the highest rung, and now you come to the lowest rung in John chapter 4. So there's a great contrast between those two tra- chapters. And so now he's with the woman at the well, and here's what he says to her. Chapter 4, verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water, probably pointing at the well, uh, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get, the wa- to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I, I, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, what is Jesus telling this woman and what is he telling us? Because he's saying something really important. Because he says, those in Revelation, those who are thirsty, I will give you refreshing. I will give you water. So he's essentially saying to us the same thing he said to the woman. What was he saying to the woman? What he was saying to the woman is, woman, you have this, this God-shaped hole, this void, this emptiness in your life. And right now, you're trying to fill that void. You're trying to fill that emptiness through relationships. You're thinking, if I could just find the right man, if I find the right man, then I'll feel safe, I'll feel secure, I'll feel significant, because he will make me feel that way. And for some people, that that works to a certain extent. You say, well, if I could just marry the right person, if I can just get into the right relationship, if I could just have the right people around me, then I'll feel significant, I'll feel secure, I'll feel good about myself. And Jesus is saying to the woman, you've had five attempts and you failed. And the one you're in right now isn't really going well right now. So essentially, you're trying to do this, but it will never work. It will never work. That will never fill the emptiness because it's a God-shaped hole. It's not a man-shaped hole. It's a God-shaped hole. And so John, Jesus is saying, through John's words, he's saying something very significant. He's saying there is an emptiness. There is a hole in your life. And if you try to fill it through relationships, if you try to fill it through a career path, if you try to fill it through an educational path, whatever path you you choose, to a certain extent, it will make you feel good about yourself. It will give you a significance. But in the end, you will still be empty. And he's saying to the woman, only water from heaven can fill that void in your life. And so Jesus is saying to this woman, he's saying, when I come in, and if, when, I, when my spiritual water fills your empty void, it fills it to the every 
part of you, and you will find a filling that you've never found before. You will find a significance that you've never found before. You will find a, a security that you've never found before. You will find a satisfaction that you will never, you have never found or never experienced before. It will be so much that it will come flowing out of you, so then instead of you going into a relationship saying, I need you to make me feel good about myself, you'll say, I feel good about myself because he's filled me. And now, instead of looking for a relationship of what I can get out of it, I look at what I can bring to it. That's what he was saying to the woman. And that's what he was saying to us. So whatever you're trying, you know, as you think about moving into this next year, what is it that is filling your life that you're trying to fill that void in your life. And you, by the way, you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and fall into this trap. It's very easy to fall into it. You say, I feel uh, empty. I feel alone. I feel, uh, and, and you're looking for people to fill those, or your career, whatever it is. You, you'll get my, my point, I think, here. But whatever it is, say, how do I know what it is? How do I know? Very simply this. If it's threatened, if you're about to lose it, You'll say, I can't go on without it. I can't, I can't go on. With... Now, now, listen, if you've been married for 40 years and your spouse dies, that's going to be a traumatic event, especially if you had a, an incredibly good relationship. But it won't be the end of, the life, of life for you. But if you're depending on a person or you're depending on this or you're depending on a job or something and you lose it, you'll say, my life is over. I can't live. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And see, here's what I find happens. We often put so much weight on the things that this world offers. And Jesus says, they will not fill your void. Only I can do that. Jesus says to us in the book of Revelation, one of the things that's going to happen in heaven fully, but can happen here on earth, is I will fill that void in your life completely. You won't have to look around to find it. Now, how can he do that? He can do that because on the cross, one of the last things that Jesus says was, I thirst. And so what Jesus did there is he experienced cosmic thirst. He experienced loneliness and pain and suffering and rejection and fear and doubt, hopelessness for you. He did this so that you could be, find refreshing. He did this so you could find hope. He did this so you could find life. He did this so that you can hold your head up no matter what life. See, we do not know what this year holds. But we do know that he says, there is hope. There is hope. Because I experience cosmic thirst. And I'm the one that can bring that living water into your life and fill your life. And so maybe you're here today and maybe the first thing you need to do is say, Jesus, I've tried to fill my life with my job and my kids and my relationships and whatever it is. And, and to a certain extent, it's brought a certain amount of satisfaction in my life. But I just feel empty. I feel alone. I feel like in, the, in the end, there's something missing. And I realize it's you. And I realize that you went to the cross for me and that you gave your life for me. And you said, it is finished, but you said, I thirst. You thirsted. You, you took my thirst. You took my emptiness on the cross. You experienced it completely. And now you have you, you promised not only to take my sins away, to, but to fill my life. And, and to fill my void and to, to, to quench my thirst. And, and to give me hope for the future. I want that hope. And I want to build my life on that. I want to transfer my trust from these things that the world offers to you. So what is it in your life that you've been really relying on too much this year? It could be a relationship. It could be a career path. 
could be a lot of things. What is it that you need to say, God, I need to transfer my trust off of this back to you. I need to find my refreshing, my security, my significance in you. What is it? I don't know. But Jesus says, I thirst so that you could have your thirst quenched. You could have the emptiness filled. So I can't think of a better thing to do as we move into the new year to say, God, I want to transfer my trust to you this year. I want to walk in the fullness that only you can bring into my life. That's the message John has for us. I pray that uh, this year you would have the hope that John was giving to people who are under term. We do not know what this year holds. But if we have the hope that John is talking about, John says even death, even death can't take that away. May we walk in that hope as we walk into a new year. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have because he rose from the dead. And we thank you for heaven, Father, that one day heaven will come down to earth. And it will be a new earth and it will be a new heaven. And, Father, we will find our ultimate purpose and we will be with you. There'll be no more death, there'll be no more dying, there'll be no more tears. And Father, no matter what this next year holds, we thank you that you hold next year in your hands. And so we trust you with that. May we find our filling, may we find our refreshing, when we, may we find our fullness in you and not rely upon the things that this world has to offer. May we enjoy them, yes, but may we not trust them. Father, we love you so much, but we thank you that we love you because you first loved us. And thank you for the hope that we have no matter what happens. We have hope. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.